Well, it's good to be uh, back with you. I was away for a few weeks. We had a wonderful time in uh, getting away with the family in Vancouver, seeing my wife's side of the family, uh, where she's originally from Canada. If you haven't used this before, her name's Adrian, but I call her Canadrian, and so uh, feel free to use that as well. Well, it's uh, <laughs> great as we're starting the, the new year. Is there anybody else here that really likes all the new stuff in the new year? Like, just enjoy some of the, the new beginning. Some of you with uh, some new uh, Christmas clothes on. I notice people really sharp this week. This one is from TJ Maxx. Anybody else uh, buy their own Christmas gifts? Um, <laughs> The, the, the new stuff is kind of fun, but it's also time, as you guys know, all the New Year's resolutions, all the, the new things, the new diet plans. Uh, anybody on one of those? This is going to be the best year of Oprah's body, I was told. And so I just saw the commercial. And so, uh, but a lot of people have new things they're starting this year, new diets, new exercise programs. 24 Fitness was like packed all week this week, right? It was cra- crazy there. It'll thin out in the next couple of weeks. It's nice. No pun, in- no pun intended there. Um, some of us with new commitments uh, some of the, us with new commitments to be in the Word more this year, some, some good commitments like that, some things of value. We have a discipleship group that I'm in. We're holding each other accountable, and we send a, a text. We're all on a text thing and say, done when we're done, so making sure we're nudging each other to stay in the Word. I encourage you in, in that. But for those of you that love all of the new stuff, this passage in Romans is going to be right up your alley. I mean, this is the ultimate passage about new, about so far as saying a new life. Now, I'm not talking about a witness protection program, a new life as in starting with the Holy Spirit reigning in our, in our life, a new life of new confidence, new behavior, new thinking, new power. I'm excited to dive into this passage with you guys this morning. Let me pray though before we dive in. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for this chance to be together as we're starting the new year, and there's something about that, about the pause and the, 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 re, uh, the reset that's refreshing, that's hopeful, and uh, we just invite you this morning to, to reign over our time, to direct us, and, and what it actually looks like to give over reign to your Holy Spirit in our lives. When we do, the, the newness of life that we experience is amazing. I pray that we wouldn't miss that this morning. We ask that you'd meet us exactly where we're at, that you'd speak to us directly, that you would be great and I would be small. We invite you now here to, to reign over our time. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. If you wouldn't mind turning with me, we've been, as you know, in uh, the book of Romans. Now we're in chapter 8 of Romans. We're going to be looking at the first 11 verses in uh, that chapter, and it's uh, much easier if we're looking at the same text together. If you don't have a, a Bible, there's one in the chair in front of you, or I'm sure on your phone. Uh, the, the first thing that we're going to look at in the text, verses 1 through 4, is the new confidence that we have in Jesus Christ. It says this, there is therefore now, you can probably repeat this with me, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're all so familiar with that verse. Love it. So it goes on to say, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh 
in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. Stop there for a moment. There's a lot going on. The first thing that grabbed my attention is the word now. Things are very different now than they used to be. Very different now. Before Christ, we were condemned, Scripture teaches. Now it says that we're not. If we've embraced Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, now our new reality is there's no longer condemnation for those of us that are in Christ Jesus. That is fantastic news if that hasn't sunk in. But let me explain a little bit what condemnation is. And I think part of the way that we explain what it is is by explaining first what it is not, because I would propose there's some confusion on that. What what are we free from? Well, we're not free from conviction. This is that we're st- we still mess up regularly, and this is a healthy nudge that the Holy Spirit gives us when we blow it, when we mess up. It's the Spirit that says, "Ah, shouldn't do that," or "Pause, slow down." Shouldn't do that when you're, you're you feel yourself heading in a direction that you know you're not supposed to. Conviction is a healthy thing. It moves us to the throne of grace and helps us to change. Conviction, we're not free from that. We're not free also from chastening. The word I would have used would be discipline, but this starts with a C, so it works better. But discipline, Hebrews, 11, or Hebrews 12, 6 says, For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Those of us that are parents understand how that works, where so often you'd much rather just let something slide by because it's so much easier to just sit on the couch with the remote, but instead we choose to discipline. Why? Because we love our kids, and we know that discipline's a critical part of their shaping factor in their, in their life. And so the same is true for those of us that are in Christ. We should expect that discipline is part of the deal. So we're not free from conviction, not free from uh, chastening, not free from consequence. We're told that in Galatians 6, 7, Bill Barry talked about that this summer. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, he will also reap. Part of the Christian experience is, is reaping the results of our choices, right? Sometimes it's an awesome result, sometimes not so much. Sometimes I feel like God gets blamed for so many things that are, he's like, what are you talking about? That's a consequence of your poor decision. Like that, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a result of the choice that you made. So we're not free from that. We're not free from consequences for bad decisions. A lot of us get stuck in this cycle where we never really fully experience the Christian life because we're one of those three things that's happening. We're either under heavy conviction, we're either being uh, chastised, or, 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 or we're yielding the results of our poor decisions. But here, he's not talking about that aspect of the Christian life. He's talking about more of our mindset. We're free from condemnation. Condemnation is a feeling or thought that I am condemned by God. A feeling or thought that I am condemned by God. How often does that sneak into our psyche, right? Sneaks into our, our, our mind and our everyday uh, life so often, and I would describe it as daisy theology, is thinking that he loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. Based on what? 
My action, my performance, the things I've done, the things I've said, how, how good of a Christian I've been that week. We slip into daisy theology. Okay, now I've sinned, now he loves me not, now I've repented, he loves me again. That's not what he's saying here in the text. In fact, we're warned against this in Revelation 12.10. We're told that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. He loves to sneak into our mind and sneak these ideas and, and thoughts of God's condemnation that just don't reflect reality. They don't reflect reality. Some of us may have even, even thought that this morning coming to church. You're like, man, Sunday, it's a new year. I'm going to go to church. And then that thought sneaks in in the back of your mind. But I know what you did this week. I know how you've blown it. I know how you're fallen. you've fallen short. You're, you'd be a hypocrite if you're going to church. The enemy loves to sneak in that thinking, that thinking of condemnation. But here's the good news, and we see it glaring in the text there, that the reality is, whether it's internal thoughts or external, somebody telling you you're condemned, it's not true. In Scripture, we see that because of Jesus' work on the cross, do you see that condemnation is actually belittling what he did for us on the cross? That's condemnation. If we're embracing that, it's like we're saying to ourselves, well, his, his work on the cross covered those sins and covered that, but it doesn't cover this sin. Like, that's false thinking. So it's important in our new year, in our, to, in our new mentality, to have this confidence. It's a joyful proclamation that we're beyond the reach of condemnation. Notice the key there, what it says. It says, those who are in Christ Jesus, those who are in Christ Jesus, if you've embraced him as your Lord and Savior, if you can point to a, a time in your life where you've bent your knee and say, I can't do this, I've fallen, I, I've fallen short of God's perfect standard, I accept the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross, then because of that choice, there's no condemnation. You are safe, you're out of reach of condemnation. Made me think of one of the games I loved playing as a kid. Maybe you uh, really got into the game of tag. We used to be in the, a neighborhood back in, in Ohio where we lived, and, and, and the, all the neighborhood kids would come together, and you'd play these vicious games of tag. By the end, you're just sweating and gross. And I, re I remember the big debate, though, in tag was what? The debate was whether or not you were safe on base. You're like, I can't, you can't tag me. I'm safe. I'm on, I'm on base. Like you, am I the only one that played tag? <laughs> okay, uh, but this, this idea, I guess so. Uh, this idea is the same for us whenever the enemy, that's why I'd love for us to embrace, embrace this and commit this to, to, to memory because whenever the enemy wants to come with condemnation, that's when we can say, man, no, I'm, I'm safe on base. You can't touch me. You can't reach me. But it didn't come without a cost. We see in those, those verses that he didn't just wave over God's perfect law. He perfectly met. We see it says that he fulfilled the perfect standard. He absorbed the penalty for those of us who have fallen short. I love where it says where we typically think of uh, us being condemned in sin. Now it says Jesus condemns sin. Jesus condemns sin. That's a pretty powerful picture there. So what's happened is the court, the highest court of all courts, the heavenly court, has come to the conclusion about you, one simple thing, you are innocent. That's an awesome thing. So whenever the world wants to say, no, you're not, no, you're not, you're like, no, that, that already got held in court because Jesus Christ, he took 
the punishment for my sin and shame. It's an awesome reality and one that should change our perspective. What allows us to, to, to live that out is pointed to also in this text, another key player, obviously Jesus Christ providing the way for that. But then we're introduced to another key, uh, key player in our new life in Christ. The Holy Spirit up until this time had only, has only been mentioned two times in the book of Romans. Isn't that interesting? Our, all the way through seven chapters, only twice. Now here, in these first 11 verses, the Holy Spirit is mentioned 12 times. Do you think maybe he might be a key part to this whole new life? What do you, what do you guys think? What does he do? How does he, how, does he, uh, how does he do that? Verse 2 points to it. It says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. See, the word law there is used. It refers to a controlling power. The controlling power of the Holy Spirit has set you free. See, the way that we experience the freedom that's in Christ is when the Holy Spirit is the controlling power in our life. Otherwise, we don't experience that. He's the one that does all the work, the shaping of our character. I love Galatians 5, through 25, love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all those things he starts to mold. You're like, where did, where did that come from? When did I become patient? When did I become tenderhearted? Like, where, where are these, ha- these things happening? Because the Holy Spirit is doing a work in us. Ultimately, in verse 29 of this same chapter, it says that the end result is making us into the image of Christ. We're under new management, and it's a process. Anybody else feel that, like, yeah, I, I know it's true, this new identity, but definitely I recognize that there is a process to this. It's not an overnight thing. We're a new creation, but we're also being made new. We're a new creation, but we're also being made new. We're under construction. But both of these realities that we're no longer condemned and the Holy Spirit's doing major work in our, in our lives should give us a new confidence that changes our perspective on things. We're pretty much untouchable because what, what accusation can be brought before us? You're like, no, I'm under construction. I, I, I'm under construction, and I, but I have no condemnation. Do you see how that changes the way we think and act? Speaking of that, verse, second part of uh, verse 4 talks about also our new behavior. It says, In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the future, uh, according to the Spirit. Uh, I, I think it's interesting there, in order that, that's the end goal, is for us, for the law to be fulfilled in us. There is expectation for change in the life of a believer. Like, ha-ha, there's an aha moment. This idea that there is expected, it's not something that's suggested. In fact, when he presents this idea in the second part, it says, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. It's not an admonition or a charge that we should walk. It's saying, you will walk. That's part of the way that an expectation, it's the habitual walk is described as a habitual way or bent of one's lifestyle. When we're in Christ, we start to walk differently. I don't mean like a, a limp. I, I mean we, we do things differently. We, we function differently. We, we respond to situations differently. That's the natural response to the Holy Spirit 
the Holy Spirit. But what, remember we talked about, about a month back, we talked about how this whole thing works. So you have the Holy Spirit come in, set up camp inside of us, completely different, but we're still living in that broken flesh that has been programmed since birth to sin, right? So that's, that's real exciting, right? But, but the, what happens is there's a process that has to happen to get the body's behavior in line with this new reality. The, the Holy Spirit has to start taking more and more control and reign of our lives. And guess what's necessary in order for that to happen? There's a lot of things that we have to start saying no to. There's a, there's a ton of things. That's what the Holy Spirit helps us do, is saying no to all the things that our body and our flesh wants to tell us we should be doing. There's a lot of no's, especially early on in walking with Christ. There's a lot of no's that needs to happen. So if there's not, if there's not some resistance going on in your life to, against the flesh... Like, that's, the, that's a problem. There's, there should be, in walking in the Spirit, there should be no's. But we shouldn't be surprised that it's a difficult process. I like this quote by N.T. Wright. He says, Don't be surprised if the way is hard and stony. It's always like that when you go from Egypt to Canaan. It's always like that. You see the Israelites, what were they? They're always quickly, quickly going back to, oh, remember how good we had it back in Egypt when we could eat whatever it is we want. And we are, oh yeah, wait a second, but you were slaves. You were slaves. You forgot that part, right? For us, the same is true that there's the expectation for the Holy Spirit changing us and transforming us. But we're like, oh man, but I, I miss the days when I used to be able to do this or that. It's true with anything in life, isn't it? That the, the good things come on the other end of a difficult process. Anybody experienced that? That good things come on the end of a difficult process? Some of you are still in that difficult process, but the joy and the hope that we see and experience in life is, man, when the, at, at the end of the hard work, there's usually some kind of payoff, or at least we'd hope so. I was uh, on this trip up in Vancouver, and... Uh, uh, we had a, a, some fun times there. We actually got to go for a, a couple afternoons skiing in, uh, in Vancouver with the family. I hadn't done that in a long time. But if you haven't skied for a while, do you know how the next day afterwards, how your legs feel? It's kind of like, whoa, like jello legs. Like, what happened here? Like, I used to be able to do it. It was no big deal, but jello legs. So we're there, and I was the day after skiing, and I had the jello legs going. And, and they, they said, well, hey, everybody's, the whole family's going on a hike. You want to come? I was like, I guess so, but I got these jello legs, and, uh, but I decided to, go, d- decided to go on the hike anyway. And so I-, I didn't realize, though, I'm at the stage with our three kids where when the kids ask for me to hold them, I'm like, no, you're, you're old enough now. You can do your own deal. You know, like, step it up. You got younger legs than me. And, uh, and maybe that's a bad dad, but, uh, but, but see, there's an age with, with kids that you're done helping them out, and, and what happened is my little nephew wasn't at that age, right, Adrian? And so Uncle Scott got to carry with his jello legs his little nephew on this like five-mile hike uphill. It's like, oh my goodness, I'm gonna fall in yeah. So anyway, but here is the, the end of that story, and the, my point, maybe it's a point, uh, but end of that story was at the end of the at the top of this this hike that we did. I have a, a picture of this 
kind of cool. It was uh, in North Vancouver, came out to this open, rocky area, and pictures never do things justice. But this was just epic. It was right at sunset, overlooking the ocean, just a, just a breathtaking view. You're just like, ah, oh, this is good. You're breathing in that cold air. Well, I didn't really like that. But, uh, but you're, 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 you're there. You're seeing the, the beauty of God's creation. I was thinking about that. I was like, isn't that kind of the, the same picture of this? Man, when you, when you walk in the Spirit, at first it might see like, seem like, man, I'm saying no to my old flesh a lot, and I get tired of saying no, and that's a, kind of a, a process. I don't, I don't really like that, but on the, on the other end of that, you're just like, man, but this is good. This is good. The, 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 the life that God wanted me is on the other end of some degree of struggle, right? The other end of that, and gradually... Sin becomes uncharacteristic rather than the norm. Gradually, sin becomes uncharacteristic rather than the norm as layers and layers of the old self gets gradually peeled off. This change in behavior really stems from new thinking, though, we see in the text. Look at verse 5. It says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. It's an interesting section of Scripture. I poured over that a lot this week. First thing that caught my attention is the use of flesh. I think there's maybe sometimes some confusion about the flesh. It's not referring necessarily to just our physical body, but it describes a person living in rebellion against God. Our body, as you saw back in Genesis, and the things of this earth were created good. The earth was described. Us was described as very good. That was God's conclusion after making us. So his design, his plan, his creation wasn't the problem. The problem is something that was good was used wrongly. So that's when he describes the mind of the flesh. It's the, it's the mind of a person living in rebellion against God, intent on, on indulging their own corrupt desires. That's the, that's, the, that's the mind of the flesh that's saying, I'm living in rebellion. I want to do what I want to do. You see, that part of us, our mind, is linked to our flesh. A lot of people get confused on that, thinking of like, oh, I just need to change because I can do it from my mind. But you're like, wait a second, what if my mind's broken too? What if my, what if my mind's broken? How do, I, how do I change that? Well, that's what he's pointing to here I love Paul gives some encouragement back in verse, or chapter 7, verse 22. It says, For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. So our inner being at the very core of us is what needs to be compelling and moving and directing the mind. This new inner being, I like, I jotted this down, the, the, this new inner being empowered by the Holy Spirit must reprogram our mind to stop the old thinking that led to death and begin thinking on things of the Spirit that lead to life and peace. Do you understand that? Does that make sense? We have to train 
our minds, in other words, to submit to new management. We have to train our minds to say, all right, I, need your, I need my mind to come in line with what's happening on my inner being. The work, remember we, we read about that in Romans, that man, we're a new creation. Where the old is gone, the new has come. That, that's gone, so, but, but they're still stuck in this body of flesh and our mind is probably the primary area where the battle or the struggle continues to happen. Aligning our mind with our new inner self. Does that make sense? That's the way that, that I understand it. If you're not experiencing life and peace, you have to ask, what is your mind set on? Because it says if you are, if you're walking in the Spirit, then your mind's going to experience life and peace. That word set caught my attention. I don't know if anybody else here has some quirky things that you find yourself doing on a daily basis. One for me is, soon as I walk into the house, Adrian can attest to this, I have a particular shelf that I walk over to, take my, my phone out, my keys out, my wallet, take off my watch. I set all of those things down in the same spot. Anybody else do something like that? Same spot? Uh, I only see guys' hands going up here. So... <laughs> I'm not saying anything about that, but it's just interesting. Uh, but, oh, there's a couple ladies. There's a couple ladies. Uh, but but this, this idea, this kind of a routine that, that I do, it's kind of a, a quirky one because I, it, it's just natural. It's like I'm on autopilot. It's almost weird. I'm like marching towards the spot. I set it down. I can't even sit down and relax when there's still stuff in my pockets. It drives me crazy. But I can sit the rest of the day with things in my pocket. It's no big deal. So weird stuff, weird stuff. But, but here, the reason I bring that up is that idea of set, because I see that throughout this whole section, idea of where you set your mind, where you set your mind, where it gets placed. So my question for us is when the noise of the day finally gets quiet, where do you set your mind? When all of the, everything that's been going on, when you finally get a pause, or maybe it's a long drive, where does your mind head? Where, do, where does it go? What consumes your, your thoughts? What, are, what, what does it naturally head to, head to? I would propose, based on this, naturally our mind goes right back to the things of the flesh. Our mind naturally, that's all it's ever done. That's what it's programmed to do. It's like walking through the front door. It goes straight back. That's where it gets set on. It goes right back to that because that's what the flesh does. It keeps going back. What's critical in order for our mind to go a different direction is it has to be underneath the leadership and reign of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, we just go right back to the same old thinking. And here he's pointing out, saying that when it's in the flesh, when it's just operating on what I can do and what I naturally think about, he's saying, man, it is, what does it say? Impossible to please God. Look at the, those verses. It's pretty, pretty interesting. He says, For, to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So, when we're trying to go a direction with our, our, our mind, if we're just doing it in the flesh, that's exactly where it goes. That's, it heads towards things that aren't interested in pleasing God, 
Have you noticed that when you're not walking in the Spirit, when He's not reigning, when He's not been in the conversation during the day, when He's kind of gotten pushed off to the side, all of a sudden our minds go to things that, I'm not really interested in God's law right now. Not really interested in, the, in spiritual things. In fact, it goes as far as to say that our minds become hostile to God. Why? Because you're like, I want to do what I want to do. I want to do what I feel like doing. I'm not, I, I, I start to see God as an obstacle to my desires. Become hostile. But in the spirit, our thinking becomes different. When we actually are in an ongoing conversation, try this out this week. Try it out for an afternoon. See how, how that goes. When you're in a constant conversation with the Holy Spirit, when you're like, all right, Lord, direct me. What do you, what do you want me to do now? What do you, how, do you, how do you want me to respond to this situation? Okay, I feel myself getting angry in the flesh right now. How, God, Holy Spirit, what do you, how should I respond? I'm in this conversation, and man, that person is annoying. How do you want me to respond? Like, Holy Spirit, direct me in this. What would it look like when our mind is set on the Holy Spirit? How would that change things drastically in our lives and our weeks? I was on our, when we were on our way back from Vancouver, we were in one of these Delta flights with just four across on the plane, the small ones where you feel all the bumps. Uh, and so uh, our family, there's four of us in the row behind, and I sat just with uh, a stranger uh, by myself in the row in front of them. And so, but I like meeting new people. I chatted up with whoever, so I'm just talking to this guy, and he's got a he's got a thick Russian accent. I would do it if I could. I can't really do accents, but uh, but just just talking with him, and he's telling me a little of his stories. Tw- 23 years old, and I was. Uh, asking him what he's doing. He's trying to become an actor, and, uh, and uh, he's asking me what it is I do, and I was like, oh, I'm a, I'm a pastor, and I said, uh, do you have any kind of a faith background? And he said, yeah. He said, actually, I, I'm Muslim. So I was like, oh, this just got awkward. <laughs> and, but he, 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 he sensed that. He sensed that, and, and uh, there's some stuff going on in the world. I don't know if you guys had seen some things on the news. But, uh, but he sensed that, and, he's, and he was quick to say, but man, I am so, so against these extremists that are doing all these terrible things, and uh, in other words, calling me that he's not going to kill me. And, uh, and, and so, and so it, it was interesting, that conversation, and, uh, and, uh, and in that, I mean, if I'm honest, I've wrestled through a lot of this in the last couple months. Have you guys wrestled through kind of what the appropriate response of believers is and and he starts explaining, he's like, yeah, I don't, I don't follow that, like that, that way of thinking. And then in, in my flesh, I had a full conversation ready to go about saying, well, those guys are actually just following the Quran. You know what I mean? Like, like I, I had this whole explanation in my mind that I was ready to get into. But there's something inside my spirit and my Holy Spirit nudging me and being like, this young guy, he just needs Jesus doesn't need a debate with a pastor on an airplane. You know what I'm saying? Like he doesn't need an argument over his truth source and my truth source. He just needs to hear about Jesus Christ's love for him. And, and, and so I, I just shared with him. I said, man, I'll tell you what, Jesus Christ has changed my life and went into talking through that with him. And uh, we, we didn't go to blows about anything. And, and you know, it, it was just, a, it was a healthy, spirit-led conversation. Now, it's a real crossroad because in our mind, because isn't that where the battle starts? There's so many opportunities where you're just like, you know what, I could go a different route with this in the flesh. I, I've got a case I could lay out, you know, like I, I've got that ready. 
But, but is that really what we're called to do? You see, the mind that is in the flesh can't please God. Can't please. It's impossible. It has nothing to do with it. In fact, it's hostile towards the things that he's... We know from 2 Peter 3.9 that, that, that the Lord doesn't wish that any should perish. Let's think about that for a moment. Doesn't wish that any should perish. And so here's my point in this, is that that's the whole key to the Christian life. It all comes down to what does our interaction through the day with the Holy Spirit look like? If you're trying to do this deal in the flesh and like, hey, I, I got this, man, you are so missing it. And if you're here and you're wondering, why am I not experiencing all these things that are, are new? Why am I not? It, maybe it starts, not maybe, this text says that it starts by walking with the Holy Spirit, interacting with Him, seeking His will, seeking His direction, seeking, well, what's the right response to this? An uh, ongoing conversation. Do you guys remember a verse about praying without ceasing? How's that possible? That's what we're invited to. That's the key to our newness of life. This new power he talks about in verse 9, he says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. The last couple chapters, if you remember, we've talked a lot about the weakness of the law. Now we're seeing, a, wait a second, there's a, a new power source that offers the ability to accomplish this, the purposes of, of God in our, in our life. Verse 9 here explains to us, he says, listen, he says, you are not in the flesh. Anybody else need that sign up like daily, like a reminder right in front of you? Like you are not in the flesh. You are not to keep operating in the flesh. There's a new power source that we're to submit to. And here's the, the important thing is it's not just some believers, it's all believers. Every single believer, if you've embraced Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. You have the Holy Spirit. I think there's some confusion about that. Some people think that, oh, some people got the Holy Spirit. Some, some Christians didn't. I was, I was actually talking to um, a woman, a, a friend of mine introduced, and I found out in the conversation that she used to attend a church that my best friend was the pastor of in Brentwood towards the city. And in the conversation, I was like, oh, that's awesome. You went to, went to Joe's church. And she's like, yeah, he didn't have the Holy Spirit. Talk about an awkward conversation, right? <laughs> so I'm like thinking, and there's a lot going on in your head in this. Thinking to myself, I'm like, do you remember that part when I was just saying that's my best friend? <laughs> and uh, in the conversation, I, I, I somehow was able to just say, well, well, that's probably an area that we're going to have to disagree on. And, uh, and I was thinking about it. I said, I was thinking to myself about it later. I was like, I just think she's confused about how this all works. How, we, we see there in, in verse uh, 9, it says, Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. So you flip, you flip that, 
In other words, if you belong to him, you have the Spirit. It's, it's part of the package if you're in Christ is you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. Some people pray, dear Lord, please fill me with your, your Spirit. And then God's just like, I already did. <laughs> like, I already did. You just need to submit to his leadership. But, but here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. It's a reminder for us. Also, I saw that I wanted to point to one more passage uh, this is me working through that conversation with you all. Ephesians 1, 13 through 14, it says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So this idea, once we've heard, once we believed in him, we were sealed with the Holy Spirit and here's, the, again, going back to my conclusion in the last section, that is the only hope for you having a vibrant life in Christ. What does he say? Says, he says the Holy Spirit, he says, who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. In other words, otherwise, you're walking around dead. Otherwise, you're walking around dead. If you don't have, if you're not living with the Holy Spirit reigning and guiding your life, you may as well, you're, you're, you're just in the flesh. Here's the, the awesome truth and the gift for us is when we do embrace that relationship, when we do actually tap into that power, when we say, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pursue this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay after it because Scripture keeps telling me time and time again that it's critical to my experiencing the fullness of life. That's when we start to see things change. That's when we start to see a, a different attitude. That's when we start to see behavior start to change. That's when we start to see our, our heart start to soften, our perspective on things start to change. It all goes back to walking with the Spirit. It's a great reminder for us as we're starting the new year. I was just pick, thinking about this as I was working through this. I was like, man, what would, what would this community look like? What would Thousand Oaks, what would Westlake Village, what would, what would uh, Calabasas, Agora Hills, what would this area look like if 350 people were fully living by the Spirit? You know, just moment by moment, what's the, what do you want me to do, God? What do, what do you want me to say here? Why, how do you want me to respond? How do you want me to serve this person, man? How, how do you want me, man, can you imagine in 2016 the kind of impact we could have, not just in this world, I would propose, I mean, it, it, would, it, it would just get crazy. It would get really crazy in this area if we were all walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's my prayer for us as a church. Let me close in prayer. God, I thank you so much for your word and even just thinking about it this week, the reality of what you did for us on the cross, that you're able to make a statement that there's no condemnation for any one of us that, are, that is in Christ Jesus. What a powerful anthem, what a beautiful word and the gift that you offer to us to a, a new mind, to new perspective, new attitude, new be behavior. God, I would hate for any of us, myself included, to miss that. God, we ask even in these moments that you start nudging us, start convicting us, start reminding us of your presence, God. That this week we would make choices 
say no to things, to start a conversation with you that carries through the whole day, the whole deal. God, I thank you for that potential. I pray that we would embrace that, that we'd enjoy all that is new in you. Pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, we're invited to such a good thing. He has great things for us in store. A, a new life, a, a new perspective, a new heart. I mean, so many things that are new, you can't even list them all. It's an awesome thing. Let's live and enjoy that even going into this week. Let's try out that conversation with the Holy Spirit. Amen? Through our day, through our, our interactions with people. It's an awesome opportunity. Pray you have a wonderful week in the Lord. God bless you.